forward. It's the one move we're all ready to take. And at the Audi Moving Forward sales event, we're ready to help you on that journey. All Audi dealerships are now open. With tailored solutions to suit your individual needs, like the Audi A6 Saloon, with PCP finance from only €499 Euro per month. Now is the time to make an appointment. Now is the time to start moving forward. Audi. Vorsprung durch Technik. Terms and conditions apply. Hello. G'day. Oh my God, it sounds normal again because Ellen is back in Brisbane. Thank you so much for slogging through that phone episode. It will never be that shit again. It will never, um, We ever, learned who ever. our diehard fans were that episode. <laughs> Thanks, guys. And like, I, li- I, Ellen doesn't listen to the podcast. I actually do listen to our podcast when we release it. Um, and you just I said that get so judgmentally. <laughs> I couldn't get through it. No, no, but you just don't. No, I don't. I, I enjoy listening to it. I know that sounds really full of myself but also because like Ellen's been away and I've missed her so I've been listening to the podcast being like, like why are you I fall miss asleep? this I miss Ellen but yay Ellen's up visiting for a few days so we have commandeered her to record quite a bit of Mitlu getting some hashtag content out for you guys hashtag content I don't think we have any housekeeping today other than to tell you to um Get in on to our Patreon because we do have some Patreon content. Uh, the Teacher's Pet episode that Ellen took charge of. I am in midst of research to go up for next month's episode. Um, yeah, so you should do that. Uh, make sure that you're telling your friends and your family and your pets and your coworkers and your enemies about the podcast and getting them to subscribe and listen because we're having a good time. And we're going to sort out the technical difficulties. Ellen's going to have a microphone. Everything's going to sound good again, I promise. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was, that was really interesting. Cause like, as Ellen and I discovered, we get a lot of cues on like when to talk. Yeah. By looking at each other. (laughs) And boy, do we love to talk. So we're constantly like cutting each other off. Yeah. And I was like, sorry, what was that doll? Take that back. Take that back. What's going on here? What's this? It's fine. But no more shit. Only great stuff from now on. Oh, also the other bit of housekeeping. Not that we don't already have like a huge workload. Uh, Ellen and I were talking today um, because both of us read, obviously read a lot of true crime um, books Books. um, related to the podcast and otherwise. But we were wondering if people would be interested in joining us on like a Mitlu like maybe like a monthly book club or like a bi-monthly book club or yeah. something like that. So we can kind of, cause we talk, we read so many books, we talk about it. We could probably make episodes about it and get everybody involved. It's yeah. a good way for us all to like talk about things and all come together. Yeah. So if you're interested in something like that, let us know. Because I, um, currently I'm reading the love is always mom, which is about, uh, Mae West, whose mom and dad were Fred and Rosemary West. Uh, really bad serial killers in the UK. And then I also, thanks to my good pal, Eleanor at Dimmix, um, who's also a customer at my work. She's such a sweetie pie and she's actually become a pal, which is so cute. Um, I ordered uh, Kerry Rawson's new book. Well, her her first book. Um, she is Dennis Rader's daughter, BTK. So this is her book in like the midst of the tragedy of finding out that her father was a serial killer. So if you want to read along with us and have discussions with us, let us know. Let us know and do that. All right. So who have we got today, Jess? So I um, 
was looking at Victorian murders and I remembered this image of a guy. I didn't know who his name was. I didn't know any context of like what this guy had done, but I remembered his face because I thought he looked like Stephen Hawking. And I thought the news was trying to tell me that Stephen Hawking had murdered somebody. Right. But then I was like, oh, the guy's not in the wheelchair. (laughs) So it mustn't be. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit, Jess. (laughs) But he does. This is our problematic episode. (laughs) um, In there's an image of this man who I'm going to be talking about tonight. Um, when he was exiting the courthouse, he had like the button up shirt and the blazer and the glasses, same sort of color hair as Stephen Hawking. So that's like what I put this guy up as. So I'm going to be talking tonight about Peter Norris Dupass. Or not Dupass, Stephen Hawking. Not Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking, murder. not a murderer. Stephen Hawking, an international treasure. Peter Dupass, one of the worst people ever. All right. So this whole thing and like basically the big blow up of Peter Dupas came when a young woman called Nikki Patterson, who was a trained psychotherapist that was living in Northcote in Melbourne, uh, was murdered. So Nikki at the time of her murder was described as, you know, a bit of a rascal. She was in a really like perfect point in her life. She'd done all of this study and all of this work and had set up a practice at home. Um, She was discovering who she was and she was uh, keen to like uh, have a career that meant that she was helping other people. Um, so before her death, she had joined the Ardoc Youth Foundation, which she worked, uh, which worked to provide underprivileged children with education. Um, but she was uh, setting up her own psychotherapist um, work at home, and she'd placed an advertisement in the local paper. So um, basically, a friend had gone to Nikki's place to like meet up and have coffee and catch up, and she turned up at the place and found Nikki dead and it was presumed just from the placing of the body and everything. Well, you know, she just, she was dead, but um, that Nikki had committed suicide, but upon officers arriving, um, they were like, this is a homicide. So um, door knocks were done around the area um, and it showed that at about 10 o'clock in the morning, there had been like an argument overheard by some neighbors and that there was a screaming, but to people it just sounded like a normal domestic um, dispute, so people didn't intervene. So that solidified the timeline. So the murder scene, not to be too graphic, but um, she had been stabbed multiple times, she was semi-naked, and she had been mutilated. And there was a sense of some sort of formal meeting. So there was a tray on the coffee table with like a plunger and two like two coffee cups. So it was a so sense they could that, tell that somebody else is yeah. there. Um, so, and also the front of her house was set up as almost like a consulting room. So yeah, she was carrying out her business at home. Um, there was a diary entry in her calendar that said, uh, she was meeting with a man named Malcolm and there was a phone number. Um, and you know, police were wondering where this connection, like what connection this person would have had to, um, Nikki. And the mobile number actually belonged to a poor, innocent like student. Oh, no. Um, which was like almost like a burner cell sort of thing. But yep. the man was alibied out. Um, so 
Inquiries were then made into numbers that had run that had rung Nikki's house, and there were numerous um, calls made from a person called Peter Norris Dupas. So um, Peter Dupas was the youngest of three children, born into what was described as a fairly normal family. He was born in Sydney, yuck, New South Wales, <laughs> um, but his family had moved to Melbourne when he was still a toddler. Um, toddler, not toddler. Oh my god. Um, they're both laughing. Zane and Ellen are both laughing at me. Oh, sorry, um, everybody from Sydney. Yeah. Yeah. We won't get into that again. Uh, with both siblings considerably older, his elderly parents treated him much like an only child. Um, Dupas left school upon completing form five. So I assume that's what year 10, 11. Um, and, but later, um, he later on got his high school certificate, um, which is like the QCS FAS, I guess. HSC. HSC, yeah. Uh, so October 3rd, 1968, the age of 15, Peter Dupas, who was still attending high school at Waverley High School in Eastern Melbourne, uh, visited his next door neighbour requesting to borrow a knife for the purpose of peeling vegetables. Dupas was apprehended after he had stabbed the woman in her face, neck and hand as she, as she attempted to fight off the attack. He later told police that he could not help himself and did not know why he began to attack the woman. He was placed on 18 months probation and was admitted to the Larendell Psychiatric Hospital for evaluation. He was released after two weeks and it was treated as an outpatient. October 1969, a mortuary that was located in the Austin Hospital was broken into. Two bodies of two elderly women were mutilated using a pathologist's knife. Uh, one body contained a strange wound inflicted with a knife to the area of the thigh. Um, and Peter, um, police actually believe now that uh, Peter was involved in these break-ins and the wounds inflicted that um, were inflicted on one of the bodies were matched to wounds that were found on Nikki Patterson. Um, he was said, he was said to be like potential, uh, potentially dangerous. And the main thing about Peter Norris Dupas, which you'll find across like everything I'm going to talk about tonight. Um, he's just in complete denial about everything, which is even like more dangerous and really difficult for treatment as well. Um, you, you know, can't acknowledge that you've done something when you, you can't, can't really acknowledge and there's no it. remorse and everything like that. So back to Nikki, so Peter Dupas was questioned um, and upon meeting him, police noticed a scratch on his face. Nothing sus. Nothing sus. Remember Jerry Ben Clay? Nothing sus, guys. Just a shaving cut. Just like a three inch long shaving cut? Nope. <laughs> um, and obviously that could be linked to an altercation. Um, upon arriving at Dupas's house, um, the garden hose actually looks like it had been repaired with yellow electrical tape, which was linked to the scene of the crime of Nikki Patterson and with Nikki's body being found, parts of her body being covered in yellow electrical tape. Um, At the bottom of Peter Dupas's bin was torn up pieces of paper uh, and police like put it back together and it contained the address of Nikki Patterson and the appointment time with the name Malcolm, which was the name that was found in Nikki Patterson's diary. He really didn't think that they would ever find him. No, I know. He's really dumb. He really didn't try to hide He's anything. Very, very dumb. Uh, also down the bottom of the bin was a pair of shoes that were covered in blood and what is known as a kit. So uh, people like Ted Bundy had a kit. So Ted Bundy's kit contained like a ski mask, handcuffs, rope. Tights. Tights, condoms, 
the whole lot. Actually, I don't know if Ted Bundy carried condoms, but um, I I didn't ask. Um, <laughs> so in Peter Dupas's kit were gloves, a balaclava, and condoms. Um, so there was also a jacket which appeared to have blood on it, and also a piece of newspaper which contained it, which had a photo of Nikki Patterson that uh, was the uh, when the when the paper had announced that she had been murdered. This guy's a fucking moron. Yeah. So obviously he was arrested (laughs) and charged. Um, He had a really loose alibi and the evidence against him was overwhelming. Um, There was a DNA on the jacket that linked Peter Dupas to Nikki Patterson. There was CCTV footage near Nikki Patterson's home, which captured him filling his car up with petrol. And he was wearing that jacket that they had seized. So the evidence was compelling and he was sentenced to life in prison without parole. So you'd think, hooray, this guy. Close the book. It's done. Bake him away, toys. <laughs> you get me every time with that line. It's just every so time. incredibly funny. So funny. Okay. Um, so sentenced to life in prison without parole. But this was just the beginning into the insight of this sexual predator and sadistic predator. It was obvious to police because of the, um, I don't know if this is the right word, but like the intensity of the murder, how thought out and planned it was that this was have been not his first time. This wasn't his first. Um, so obviously, like I said, he had a substantial file on him dating back to the early 70s. Um, so further on from the neighbor that he attacked and the mortuary incident, but that hasn't been proved, I should say but it was linked because of the marks. The similarities, yeah. yeah. So the 5th of November, 1973, in Mitcham, Melbourne, a woman had been raped. A man had come to the door saying that his car had broken down and he wanted to use a screwdriver. He followed her into the house and he attacked her. Um, a few days later, the attacker tried to strike again. This time the woman was a bit wary and she said that her husband was on his way home and he would be able to fix the car. Um, he said, don't worry, put the hood down of the car. And then drove away and the woman got the car number. See, this is what I mean. Like this guy is an idiot. Mm. Like he's obviously got some compulsion in his head. Mm -hmm. Not saying that that's an excuse, but like he obviously has a compulsion in his head and he's just like kill, kill, kill. And he's just not thinking, he's not thinking this through. Like there's no, there's no rhyme or reason or thought in his head, if I'm honest. Um. So a pattern was emerging and a description of the, the attacker. And um, so police were narrowing down on a suspect and they came to 21-year-old at this point, Peter Dupas. 21? Uh, 21. So Peter Dupas flat out denied any involvement at this time, but his victim had picked him out in the lineup, which is, you know, a turning point. Uh, he was convicted and sentenced to nine years imprisonment. He was cold. He was calculated. He went to prison. Um so basically he was in prison 25 years before Nikki Patterson was murdered, which is mental. So uh, Peter Dupas received a five-year minimum prison sentence for three charges of assault with attempt to rape and malicious wounding. Um, a 1980 report stated that there is little that can be said in Dupas's favour. He remains an extremely disturbed, immature and dangerous man. His release on parole was a mistake. After... One month after his release in 1985, Dupas was again released from prison in February. Approximately one month later, he had raped a 21-year-old woman on a beach in Blair Gowrie. That's a really hard word to say. Um, After 
Alighting from his car, Dupas followed the woman and attacked her, holding her to the ground at knife point before raping her. He later told the police, I'm sorry for what happened. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, Doubt. Doubtful. So uh, basically upon his release on that, people were telling him apparently that he was okay and that he was going to, it wasn't going to, and then he never thought it was going to happen again and that he just wanted to live a normal life. Jump forward to 1994. Uh, On August 18th, 1994, after entering a guilty plea to one count of false imprisonment in the county court of Bendigo, Dupas was sentenced to three years and nine months imprisonment with a minimum period of two years and nine months. Um, So now we're up to 96 and he had been released from prison and moved into a house in Melbourne um, in the suburb of Pasco Vale. So he was a repeat offender who showed no remorse and couldn't help himself and he did shit, went to jail, did more shit, went to jail, you know. So police, obviously they had this guy. He So by this point, sorry, just to be confusing, now we're up to he's been sentenced to life imprisonment without parole for the murder of Nikki Patterson. So police are obviously like, mm, this guy's – This guy's got an issue. He's got an issue and so obviously there's, you know – you'd be like, okay, let's go through some old cases and see if we can connect them to, connect them yep. to him. So a task force was formed um, and they started with the 1997 murder of Margaret Ma. So Margaret lived in Campbellfield and she was known locally for her work as a sex worker. She was considered harmless. She was well-liked and softly spoken. Um, she was 40 years old and she came from a quite successful and respected family. Uh, Margaret's body was found um, at Summerton around 6.30 in the morning by a man and a woman who were collecting cans for a charity. And I've said, question mark, okay. So weird. Those people that collect cans. It's just really weird. Is it? <laughs> I find it really weird. Jess hates charity. <laughs> no, I like charity. It's just I find picking up cans for charity a little odd. Like cans of food to be donated no, or no, like no, empty like cans? empty cans. You can like trade them in for money. Yeah. All right. You don't know where they've been. We're back been. on board. <laughs> you don't know where they've been though. I don't think like the people who are like dying and like are getting the money from the charity really care. Where no, that's fair enough. <laughs> anyway. Um, so they saw this like big pile of computer parts and boxes and all this shit and they lifted one of the boxes up and they found the body of Margaret Ma. Oh, bad. I know. So Margaret had been choked to death, mutilated and, oh God, I touch my boobs as I say this because this is obvious, like this is honestly one of like the most horrific things I've ever read. He had removed one of her breasts and, um, Basically, because unfortunately, Margaret was seen as something as what we call a high risk victim. The investigation went. They cold. just didn't care about her because well, the police don't care about sex workers. They they did do an investigation into Margaret a lot more than you know a lot of other stories you hear about sex workers being murdered, but there just wasn't a lot of information. DNA obviously in ninety seven wasn't too much of a thing, so the case just went cold. Right. Um. But you know. Once again, just saying, like, I'm not putting shit on the police, but, you know, obviously she had um, some may consider a less than savoury lifestyle. So, you know, maybe that was the reason why investigation wasn't taken seriously, more seriously than others. 
So more than seven years had passed since Margaret's murder um, and it was being linked to Nikki Patterson, both being homicides within the seven years. And because obviously like mutilation of a body, um, so Nikki Patterson's breast had also been removed. Right. So, so that there's a is, link between that's, the that's two. Quite a, that's quite a link, especially. Pretty obvious like calling card. Yeah. Um, but the police obviously needed more evidence. Um, the boxes of the computer parts were re-examined and there was a glove. So some DNA was able to be lifted from um, just, it was like a ski glove almost or something. Um, not like a latex glove. Um, so some DNA was lifted from the glove and it matched their leading suspect of Peter Dupas and the chance of it belonging to anybody else was like one in 450,000. Uh, so senior Corwin, uh, no, oh my God. I can't like, you know, when you're like taking notes, like you're getting so much information in and you just can't like what you write just doesn't. Yeah. Like, you it's know, not what like you're technically saying. English. Yeah. It's like a secret so, code only for you. Exactly. Yes, I do so know exactly senior that. Crown prosecutor Michelle Williams stated that the argument was that the person who killed Margaret was exactly the same person who killed Nikki Patterson because of the signature of removing the breasts. Um, and uh, it was like an unusual feature and it was an underlying methodology. Mm. But Dupas mounted a defense saying that breast and genital mutilation was common practice in the Vietnam War. Oh, yeah. And was shown in the case of Jack the Ripper. It's like, mm-hmm. If you're calling on Jack the Ripper for your, like, precedent, I think you're in you're a bit guilty. of trouble. Yeah. So the defense basically just argued that it wasn't an unusual set of circumstances. So the trial lasted for three weeks and at the end of it, Peter Dupas was uh, was charged with uh, life without parole. Yay. Which he already had for the murder of Nikki Patterson. So Dupas at this point is now known as one of the, one of Australia's most sadistic killers removing, you know, I, the obviously murder's awful. um, But to me, like mutilation, genital mutilation, like the whole, like that. It's a huge aggravating factor. Yeah. It, I just, it really irks me. Um, We're coming out against mutilation. Yeah. You heard it here, folks. You heard it here, Mutilation folks. is bad. Um, you know, uh, removing one of Nikki's breasts and taking it with him, that was never recovered, by the way. Um, and removing one of Margaret Ma's breasts and forcing it into her mouth. Like how, like that's fucked. So now we're jumping back again. Mm-hmm. To the 1st of November 1997, which was All Saints Day at Faulkner Cemetery in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Messina Halvargas, she was 20, she was 25. She was a bank worker who had taken her boyfriend's car to go and tend her grandmother's grave. Messina was known as a lovely young girl who lived a modest life with her parents. In the afternoon, Messina decided to visit her grandmother, who was buried in the Greek Orthodox section of the cemetery. She was very slight in build. She was a beautiful girl. Um, she knelt down to tend the graves and she was attacked viciously, murdered and left, murdered and dragged to an area between two graves and basically left for dead. Uh, she was reported missing by her father and her boyfriend and Messina's uh, tra- uh, trail, you know, her last movements led mm-hmm. to the cemetery where they found the boyfriend's car and then they found the murder scene. Uh, Messina had suffered more than 80 stab wounds throughout her body. With such a violent and random attack, obviously there was a lot of media interest. People were really freaked out. Mm. Um, and 
there in the days leading up to the murder, uh, women had been approached at the cemetery by this guy. So obviously he was stalking people at the cemetery trying to, you know, find a victim. Mm. Um, a lady had come forward with a description of the man who was seen in the area and fuck me, does it look like Peter Dupas? Like the sketch is. <laughs> they got it right. I actually said that in my notes. I was like. Sometimes sketches like don't even look human. And then sometimes they look like so like the person that it's hard to believe that they weren't just looking at their face. Honestly, it. I will link this sketch that they put in this documentary that I watched about this case. Fucking hell. Like either that woman is like a robot. Like I, 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 yeah, I think about this all the time. Like if I had to describe somebody I who I'd not. seen in a, like a glance, even people that I know. I couldn't describe you to a sketch artist That's and have honestly, it look like somebody. I was somebody. just about to say that, and but I was afraid you were going to be like, Jess, we've been best friends for 12 years. Like no. I feel like you should. I'd be like, she wears glasses. <laughs> I don't know. She looks like Jess. Like here's a photo. Yeah. Copy this. Copy this. Um, so the lady had mentioned, um, talking to the man on the day of the murder. So the months following Messina's murder, um, police would take over a thousand statements and basically to no avail. Um, seven years after Messina's death, police had just closed the case of Margaret Ma. Um, so they were looking at other lines of inquiry in Messina's murder. So in, we're up to like February, 2005. Um, the Victorian government released a $1 million reward for any information leading to the capture of Messina's killer. So the original award actually was only $50,000, but George Halvargas, Messina's father, being a boss-ass man that he was, fought for his daughter and got it bumped up. Oh, notes, come on, come on, notes. Where are you? Fought for his daughter to, to get up to $100,000 and then finally it was pushed up to $1 million. Good. So with the reward money being bumped up, obviously witnesses come forward um, and this was including Andrew Fraser. So Andrew Fraser, the police that are in this documentary that I watched were like, this guy was like the underworld's lawyer of choice. So like if you were a bad un and you needed some shit taken care of, you went to Andrew Fraser. Um, and he was a disgraced lawyer at the time who was actually doing prison time for drug trafficking. Oh, yeah. And he had actually done time in prison with Peter Dupas. Um, Andrew had made contact um, with Peter in prison basically because of how um, renowned Peter was as like a violent killer. He wanted Peter on side in case anything had happened in prison. He needed somebody to like kill somebody for him. Yeah. Right. Um, so Andrew Fraser alleged that Peter Dupas was accosted by another inmate in prison who said, you killed my cousin Messina. And Peter turned to Fraser saying, how does he know that? How does that guy know what I've done? Oh my God. Um, Fraser had, um, Fraser had like hidden a knife, um, on the grounds of the prison, he had buried it and he dug it up and he showed the knife to Peter Dupas and Dupas had balanced the knife in his hand and muttered the words Messina. What the hell? I know, really weird, right? What? So Fraser was discussing Peter Dupas's glove that was left behind at the scene of Margaret Mars' murder. And um, he brought up the scene of Messina Halvargas and Peter Dupas remarked that he left no DNA at that scene. 
so Fraser and Dupas had spent a really considerable amount of time in prison together. Um, one time they were watching television and George Halvargas, Messina's father, appeared on screen appealing for information for his daughter, for his daughter's murder, and Peter Dupas clamped both of his hands over his mouth and began rocking backward and forward. Fraser asked him what was wrong and Dupas mimed the murder of Messina what in the a way, fuck? in a way that only police would have known because it was never released to the public that that Messina was um, kneeling down when she was initially struck from behind. So there was no way if he didn't kill her, yeah. and if all the other things before didn't demonstrate that he did kill her, yeah. So Andrew Fraser agreed to give information in court on the proviso that he was going to be released from prison. Mm-hmm. So a condition of mercy was presented to the government to have Andrew Fraser released from prison so he could give the evidence in court. But this process took over a year. And basically, as soon as he was released, he was in court within a few hours. Right. So the 12th of July, 2007, most highly anticipated trial in Australian criminal history. Police tried to corroborate what... Um, most of what Andrew Fraser had was stating about what had happened in prison by prison records and inmate movements within the prison. Mrs. Berman, who was the lady who um, did the sketch, orig- uh, who supplied mm. the sketch from um, the cemetery, uh, she took the stand as well. Dupass's jacket actually that had been connected to the murder of Nikki Patterson matched a description Mrs. Berman had made of the man in the cemetery on the day of Messina's murder. Mm. So he wore it on both murders. What a f- it's his murder jacket. Murder jacket. <laughs> Jesus. Um, so after a 22-day trial, he was convicted for life with no minimum sentence. But, of course, he appealed. He appealed the conviction on the grounds of the reliability of the witnesses who had come forward and – um, the defense argued that there was no way he was going to have a fair trial on the murder of Messina because of the bias in the media because of his previous convictions. But it's also like, dude, Huff. you're already on like you're already on life without parole. Like, yeah, what's you're never one getting more? out. Mm. Like, you know, just take it like a man. You fucking yeah. did it. Um, so the appeal was actually upheld, and the guilty what? verdict for the murder of Messina was quashed. So a retrial was ordered. Um, the members of the Hal Vargas family had to witness and endure the legal process, like, once again. That's horseshit. Stupid. So 25th of October 2010, Senior Prosecutor Michelle Williams, who was not present at the original trial for um, Messina Hal Vargas, um, was on. And the second prosecution relied basically on the same evidence and witnesses from before. Witnesses once again took to the stand, including Andrew Fraser, who, um, just so you know, he did get some of the reward money. He didn't get all of it, but he did get some. Uh, This trial lasted 26 days and he was found guilty. He appealed again and that appeal was denied. Thank God. Um, So as I said, Andrew Fraser received some of the $1 million reward, um, but without his statement, there wouldn't have been a trial for the murder of Messina Halvargas and her family wouldn't have been you know, they wouldn't have had the closure of, you know, knowing no, what, happened what happened and stuff mm, like that. Right. So after a four decade long reign of terror, a cost of a, like thousands of police hours and not to mention the pain that he caused to the families of Nikki, Margaret and Messina, um, many psychiatric evaluations were done on Dupas, but finding no psychiatric reason or childhood trauma otherwise or otherwise to his crimes, but just a deep sated, seated hatred of women um mm. 
the police believe that he could be suspect in other homicides, um, including the murder of murders of Helen McMahon, Kathleen Downs, and Renita Brutton, and that he was just driven by things that he couldn't understand. And yeah, so the ta- I believe the task force is still looking into those murders, but obviously with the timeline with it being quite far. Going all the way back basically to the 1970s, like it's hard to, I mean, witnesses would be dead by now. DNA Mm. evidence would basically be non-existent. But yeah. I have so many conflicting feelings about that case. One, I can't believe he was ever released on parole for anything. But like, because I mean, this is like the discussion we had during the Jill Mars. So obviously this this problem with parole had been happening for a really, really, really long time. It's still happening. Um. But yeah, that is Peter Norris Dupas. That was awful. I know. Great episode. Awful content. Once again, feels like I've been talking for only like three seconds, but. Felt like a lifetime. Yeah. I just don't understand. Here's a question that I have for you, which I know you can't answer. Mm. How can somebody who mutilates women not have something psychiatrically wrong with them? I don't. Isn't like, like by definition, if you're like, you know what I think is fine, mutilating people, there is something psychiatrically wrong with you. I think just in the psychiatric evaluations, I think they're going by like childhood trauma or like, um, you know how like a lot of the time with a lot of, um, murderers in general, like there's like a, I know they talk about like head trauma and stuff like that when people are children. Mm Mm-hmm. So obviously like there is something like this guy has no remorse and also he never flat out admitted to doing any of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously different in like an inmate situation. He might've felt like he was showing off or something like that, but there's definitely like no remorse. And I feel like that sort of anger towards women in that sort of Mm. way there, then there is definitely something psychiatric, but there's probably nothing diagnostically, you know? They just go, this guy's nuts. Yeah. Stamp, move on. So he's in prison forever. Good. Um, yeah. I didn't really know much about him. No, I, I didn't like know I much know about him much either. now. Yeah. Um, It'll haunt my nightmares for sure. Yeah. And his creepy little face, his eyes are dead. Mm. Um, it's a terrifying looking man. Like not that. No offense, Stephen Hawking. No, no, no. no. <laughs> like there's one shot that he looks like Stephen Hawking. That's mm-hmm. the only thing I'm going from. But like his other photos where he's just, he looks like a murderer. I hate to say somebody looks like a murderer, but that guy looks like if a If you can look murderer. like a murderer, Peter Dupas looks like a murderer. Yeah. Stunning. Um, I'm traumatized. Yeah. And I'll never feel safe walking home ever again. Not that I ever did to begin with <laughs> no. because we spend all of our free time no, reading no, about no. men murdering women. Great episode. What are Thank all the names of our social sharp, media? Sweet. Once again, I'm so sorry. No, it was great. I just always feel so guilty. Like I feel like Ellen just like, she's like, she's got so much to chat about and I feel like I'm the unprofessional host. Well, I mean, I'm a genius, so. Yeah, that's true. What can you do? I'm just um, so incredibly clever. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you. Um, Ellen will be coming up and visiting because I've commandeered her to come and see a performance I'm doing, hopefully, if I get in. Um, and she's going to come up for my mum's wedding. Very excited. Such a fucking stunning time. So stunning. So, and I'm going to be going down to Hobart as well. I know. Very exciting. If we have any listeners in Hobart, hit me up. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. So Ellen can make some friends. Please. I'm so lonely. But she's so much happier down there. Just so everybody knows she's got the sparkle back. 
Oh, thanks, girl. She got sparkle back. I'm depressed as ever, but that's what else is new. One of us constantly needs to be depressed to keep the equilibrium. <laughs> the binman must stay in the bin. One of us must stay depressed. Is this like a proverb? <laughs> the binman must stay in the bin, and one of us must always be depressed. This is like a prophecy that like Professor Trelawney is making. <laughs> But stay busy, folks. Make sure you're subscribed, rating and reviewing. Share with your friends. Keep up the... Oh, oh my gosh. We have to... Our new friend and pal, Amelia J. Dowd. Shout out to Amelia. What a fucking stunner. I have been a fan of her work for so long. She is a stunning photographer and just a stunning gal. And she reached out and sent us a message and I was like, oh, doll, like I've been obsessed with you forever. So, so stunning that you're listening while you're editing. So hope the editing's going well, Amelia. We love your work. If you're ever in Brisbane, come take photos of me and Ellen. (laughs) That'd be stunning. Oh, man. Oh, yes. And our beloved friend, Sarah, Sarah Miller, our patron. Oh, yeah. Um, who was so sweet when she <laughs> listened to our crappy episode and she was like, dolls, this is not it. Um, oh, oh, yes, the last episode. Yes. yes, thank you for liking our Patreon episode. It's all for you, girl. Yes. Um, hope you enjoy. You could join her and listen to the patron-only content. You could do that. I'm sure Sarah would recommend that you do. Sarah? Any thoughts? That's what I That's thought. Fine. Thanks, gal. That's what I thought. Thanks, doll. Um, so thank you so much for listening. Um, we'll be back with a bonus episode. We'll be back with an episode. Bonus, bonus episode. Bonus episode. Oh no, no, it's a real episode. We haven't decided yet. Right, but there is bonus content coming up for you because we love you. Please subscribe and tell your friends. Bye. Bye. <laughs>